five nine of the fan, Ben and his friend Gunning. I was I was gonna start this conversation with how great lists were because yeah. it just gets people talking. But lists like, are hot. I, it literally just happened to us. Yes, it did. <laughs> <laughs> Explain. You're the one driving the bus. Explain what's happening uh, here. Connor McDavid scored. A oh, goal. I did see that. It was very good. Yeah, it, it was good. And yeah, my 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 wager of the the Oilers beating the Predators by two goals or more it, it hit because the Oilers were going to win a hockey game. Jack Campbell was great in that game as well. Good for him. Uh, but yeah, I'm sure he blamed himself still. Connor McDavid scored a goal in which he did like a spinorama coming off a de- uh, defender, and yeah, it, a little pirouette. That was it was beautiful and it was outstanding and it was gifable and it was going mm-hmm. all over Twitter for free for now. For uh, now. Um, <laughs> and and you said yeah you would love to see a top ten list of Connor McDavid's goals, goals with, with that, that one it. yeah and maybe yeah, that I one's think. there but like the list of Connor McDavid gifable incredible goals is so long. I don't know. Like, are we, are you 100% sure that's a top 10 Connor McDavid goal? I cannot, especially at this hour of the day, yeah. definitively state that that is a top 10 goal, but I would think at first blush, yes, that is on the list. I mean, Morgan Riley getting turned course, inside look, out is a top look, five, right? Yeah, I know. We we really need him to do it worse to somebody because <laughs> that is so bad. It's not one, though. I'm trying no, to think of what I'm one I'm still is. trying to think of the, well, I mean, it's, it's also like most moment first night. It's like he has scored the huge goals where he does the celebration. He's yeah, on yeah. his knees and he's going nuts. It looks like Theo Fleury. Not that God. he wants to be tied to that. I don't know. Maybe he does. We should just move on. <laughs> but the, but the, like he has had so many special, special moments, but the Riley one, I mean, cause it's here. Mm-hmm. It sticks out for a lot of people and it's outside also, of here, yeah, it sticks. Out. It was outrageous, but it also is like, it's everyone's favorite McDavid goal. Cause we remember it mm-hmm. because it was, it happened to Mo and everyone else remembers it. Cause it happened to the Leafs. Stupid Leafs. Yeah. yeah. Now, it, Do you remember the discourse around that of oh, Riley's got to gap him up better? Uh, yeah, no, <laughs> no, I don't think that's one, and I I don't have one offhand, and we, we probably should delve deeper into the archives of Connor McDavid goals. But like, there's been multiple where he's gone through. Mul- you know, what's yes. better than going around one defenseman who's regarded as as a very good offensive defenseman, mm-hmm. but not exactly Mister Lock It Down, is going through like three opposing players or four. I, or five. I feel like he scored yes. a power play goal. Yes. On the Behind rush. his own net. Yeah. He yeah. takes it out and just, yeah. Yeah. That, that, like, that's not comparable to, to going around Morgan Riley. No offense, Morgan Riley. Well, the, the other thing about it is that, and, you know, you go look at old Lemieux highlights. You'll see this. You see this with Gretzky as well. And I'm sure, you know, different era, but I'm sure Sid has some of these as well. Mm. Is that the greatest players have plays like that where you are wowed by them, but where you also are looking at three or four players going, what are you doing? And their gravity is so good that they can at times forget or cause other players to forget how to play hockey. Like the famous Lemieux one where he puts it between the guy's feet and walks around him. (laughs) That guy, I forget his name, but he's pretty sure been on this station talking about this saying that he uses that as a clip for his defenseman of, I did everything wrong on this play because it was just Mario and he's coming in on me and what are you going to do? Warp my brain. And it just caused him to forget how to play hockey. And I honestly do think the truly, truly great ones can cause some of that. And I think that's what happened on that goal too. Yeah, because you're a Morgan Riley defender. I mean, it that wasn't his fault, but <laughs> there was conversations to be had. Not that one. I, I'll give the line again. There are only two defensemen I've seen in my life that were stopping Connor McDavid on that rush. Mm. One of them's Nick Lindstrom, and he was going to do it somehow, some way. Mm. And the other one was Chris Pronger, and he was going to do it with a three-game suspension. Yeah. That's how you defend that play. Mm. Yeah, worth it.
to not be uh, yeah agreed <laughs> forever on a top the Leafs ten lost list. Riley for two months. They were fine last year. <laughs> yes, agreed. All right, so ESPN ranked its top 100 players in the NHL. They did they they used a panel of 50 broadcasters, analysts, and reporters, and and this is a list. I, I know it wasn't, but I like to think it was like the Northern Star Award, and they all got in a room uh, yeah. and were like, oh, yeah, pounding yeah, the uh, table. No! That's tough to do with a list of really 100. Really tough. Really tough. <laughs> I think everybody submitted their <laughs> list yeah, of 100, so. and there was like ranked choice. Yeah, and, I know. I yeah. said that's not how it happened. I just like to imagine. Yeah. <laughs> that would be a long discussion. That, that was probably like a month-long panel discussion. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's, it's like how good these players will be this season. Devils, Lightning, they led the way. They had six players each in the top 100. Eh, no offense to the Ducks and Flyers. They had zero players, though, uh, which makes a whole lot of sense. Leafs had five. Would pay to see Trevor Zegers' face when he found out he was on there. <laughs> he was on the honorable mentions oh, list. Is that worse? Yeah. I, uh, no. No, I'm, not for a guy like him. Yeah. Okay. That's <laughs> fair. That's good enough. Yeah. <laughs> I was I was mentioned, and yeah. I don't have to do anything else in the postseason. Great. Awesome. Let's go to the beach. Uh, so here are the, the Leafs that were ranked. The aforementioned Morgan Riley, just getting in there. Number 96, sandwiched between Sergei Bobrovsky and JT Miller. John Tavares, Mr. Point of Game, since he's been a, a, a Leaf. 93, John Carlson, Drew Doughty surrounding him. William Nylander is 40. Mitch Marner, 20. Austin Matthews is five. Again, this is before any regular se- I guess it was released after regular season games have been played, but this poll had been done before no, I think they sat game. in a room the night before, actually. <laughs> no, you're, you're right. You're uh, right. Jack Hughes, four. Nathan McKinnon, three. Kale McCarr, two. And obviously, Connor McDavid, one. Um, so I don't know if you want to weigh in on those specifically. Mm-hmm. I have, I have a, a larger takeaway as, as far as the Leafs are concerned, especially comparing them to the other Eastern Conference teams and how many players they had. In my, my biggest takeaway from this is that um, I understand why you do it, but they should not rank goaltenders in this. I have a hard enough time yeah. saying how good John Tavares is compared to John Carlson, <laughs> let alone how good Austin Matthews <laughs> is compared to Connor Hellyabuck. Yeah. They should just have That's removed them. One. It's really tough because yeah. if you also notice they kind of just grouped them together a lot of times of, okay, this is a good spot for some goalies. It's almost like when you're watching the NFL draft and one team snaps up a tackle and they're all go, oh no, we're going to miss out on it. They they start going on a run. So that was my big picture takeaway is that, I mean, I don't even think we should talk about goalies to begin with. So including them yeah. on the top 100 list is ridiculous. But how, how in God's green earth can you say, oh, Ilya Sorokin Dude. and... And Connor McDavid, I mean, obviously Connor McDavid's better, but you understand what I'm saying here. Yeah, okay, so to this point, yes. so of all the Eastern Conference playoff teams from a season ago, oh. only the Islanders did not have a defenseman ranked higher than Morgan Riley mm. is the only Leafs defenseman in the top 100. And the Islanders have Sorokin, who's ranked, yeah. what was it, 20, I think. Uh, 30, sorry. Sorokin was 30th ranked. Because that's it's, a good it's, spot for goalies. Yeah. Whatever, right? But that's they don't need an elite number one defenseman because no. they got the elite number one goaltender. I mean, the, the biggest discussion mm-hmm. we're starting to have around this Leafs team and, and you know, uh, us vultures had it with Nick Kiprios yesterday yep. was, like, how do you remake this blue line at the deadline how? What are the pieces that are added or what are the combinations that you can come up with that, that makes you believe that this is a blue line that's a championship caliber blue line? And it's only a top 100 list, but who's going to disagree with Morgan Riley being the lowest ranked number one defenseman of all Eastern Conference playoff teams? That's 
it is truly all you need to know about what has gone wrong with the Maple Leafs over this near decade run with Austin Matthews. Yeah, I mean, we have we've talked about this ad nauseum. There has not been the number one stud. I think the I think the thing a lot of people point to if they try to talk themselves into it, and I'm not saying these guys are the same player. They're not, but is Chris Letang the guy you think of as a number one lockdown? Mm-hmm. And I think of Chris Letang in his prime, I want to be clear, is better than Morgan Riley. I do yeah. think of that. But I think stylistically there are some similarities there. The difference is is that we have not seen the Austin Matthews. He showed it in Tampa, but mm-hmm. then it went away against Florida because on those Penguins teams, and yes, Letang had to be good and Flurry had to be great or Yari or whoever it was, or Casey DeSmith, whoever's attending goal on any given night for those teams, but it was because you had the spine down the middle of Gino and Sid, and that was what buoyed your team. And I just think back to this Leafs group that it's not to say forget about the defense. It doesn't matter. But with this group, even if they add, even if they make, uh, you know, the Jake Muzzin trade that's not there to be made, but let's say they go and get the Eckholm trade that the Oilers made last year or something, the strength of this team will never be the back end. It will always be something that will be good enough or part of the puzzle. But it just, that's the way I look at it is that's the blueprint. There's a reason why we talk about that Penguins team as an outlier because they're an outlier. Because it Well, do we not think Austin, like I, has he proven it yet? Well, you're going to compare him to Sidney Crosby? I'm saying that we, we think he has a, we think he has a chance to be a not Connor McDavid, but right there beneath him guy. Mm-hmm. And if he puts the team on his back like that, because there have been years, there have been series where it mm-hmm. wasn't Sid. It was Gino. Mm-hmm. And I mean... And Phil Kessel. Yeah, and Phil Kessel. And I'm not saying that Austin Matthews is Sidney Crosby, but I'm not not saying he can't be Gino Malkin. Yeah. And Gino Malkin won Con Smythe for that team. He was the reason that team, or a Con Smythe, he was the reason mm-hmm. they won. So, and not take anything away from Crosby. They were all part and parcel of it, but they had that guy leading the way. So I'm not saying it's the way you want to go about building it, but guess what? The foundation of the house is poured. The concrete is hardened. Posts are in. Whatever else happens when you build a home, electrical's in. There are outlets, plumbing, all that stuff. It's already been built, okay? So maybe you can... I don't know, buy like a nice accent lamp for your decor or something there that's going to be a piece, but I, there's just not a transformational move to made unless you do the thing that no one's going to do and Kipper brought it up yesterday. You're not trading Elander for a D. Like, it's I, not happening. Yeah, that doesn't make any sense. Like, if there was an obvious move where, yeah, did, there somebody had this superfluous amount of, of uh, elite uh, defenders and, and needed offense, and I guess, yeah, the, the Hurricanes trade is the one that mm-hmm. makes the most sense but doesn't make sense. Um, it's, it's why... It's hard to get away from the Frank Saravelli take of the Sabres are going to be this next great superpower in the Eastern Conference. Again, this is just one organization's ranking of a top 100 player. Yeah, Owen Power just inside the top 100. So Morgan Riley at nine. Like Do you tell me Owen Power is going to have a better season than Morgan Riley? I have no problem believing that. Rasmus Sandin, 26. Like, I mean, you got two Darling. of those. Uh, sorry. If, God, well, I, somebody keep, would have careened off. I just, I, I did know, it again. I make mistakes all the time. And you are actually very kind not to correct me. But <laughs> somebody just would have careened <laughs> off of the road. Here, yes. the, wait but a minute. It's not that, the first time I've done that, that in the That bum Dubas traded the 26th best player in yeah. the league. <laughs> no, but when you got Twin Towers, like yep. Darlene and Powell. Oh, uh, that, are, uh, that are locked up forever as well. I, it's, listen, it's, there's no guarantees. And you do need, like, some goaltending. Well, and hey, like Tage Thompson, he's a good player. But if you want to do the thing, we like we're going to do the thing with the Leafs of the number one D, and that's mm. very fair to do. 
and I guess you could point to Vegas. They'd probably be the poster boy of a team that doesn't have a true number one center. But I don't know, like Tage Thompson, it's entirely possible he has 30 some odd goals this year and it's a regression year. His shooting percentage jumped a ton the last couple of years. Not to say I don't disagree with your point about the Sabres blue line. It's just they're going to have questions on the other side of things. Yeah. Do you have any qualms about Mitch Marner being number 20? guy who keeps hovering around 100 points hasn't quite cracked the barrier uh or william nylander at 40 like is this and then i mentioned john tavares being a point of game guy like he has he's done all the things that you would have hoped he would Mm -hmm. have done when they went out and signed him to a seven-year 77 million dollar contract and free agency um I know, like, the numbers don't yeah, tell the, cap, the whole story. If the cap story. goes up, we never talk about that for one second. Right, but even, like, the, the, the counting statistics that he's accumulated, like, they don't tell the whole story no. because he's, you know, at times been a defensive liability. Mm-hmm. And certainly, yeah, when you talk about him and Nylander on the same line, like, it's 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 not great when, yeah, you can't play Max Domi on mm-hmm. that line because there's no defensive conscience. Or I shouldn't say defensive conscience. He's not capable right. uh, being the 200-foot player that you he would like him to, to be. He's trying. Yeah, I, I mean... I mean, do you, do you feel any disrespect no, towards think, Nylander, Marner, or, or Tavares at 93? Because I don't have a problem with Riley at 96. No, no problem there. Uh, Tavares feels totally part and parcel of where he should be. That that feels about right. You know, I will admit you see a name like you see a name like Kopitar who, who you know, he just has accomplished so much more. And yeah, he's further down the list and it makes more sense. The the one that, that cracks me up are the, the two higher ones. It's Marner and you can't tell me this isn't done for engagement uh, sandwich right between Stutzla and Kachuk. So yeah, you think that's done uh, and good on you. Like this is why we're talking about it. We right. want fodder. Uh, but the idea that Stutzla who has all already had like again i forget what the number is but do you see how many points he had last year he had a lot of points last year more than mitch marner and this is a guy who's younger in his career is signed to a better deal now he's not the defensive player marner is he's not the complete player yada 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 but i think that marner there is something about that magical hundred point barrier for a guy who is seen as an offensive guy to get there the one i more had a qualm with and i don't know that they're wrong to do this but i think they are is Jack Hughes at four. Mm. I love the player. I love what he's shown. He's a first overall pick. He has the pedigree. No one is surprised to be this, but one good year and he leaps Austin Matthews and Leon Dreisaitl Mm. and Nikita Kucherov. Yeah, Kucherov maybe is a little different, longer in the tooth. But I mean, it Dreisaitl, does feel like Greg Wyshynski working for ESPN. Really does. Really? Well, Noted it's like the Devils great, fan. And yeah, you know, as much as Matthews is the poster boy of American hockey, he's kind of not because he's up here. Like, it does feel like there's a lot of other guys who are like, when I think of great American yeah. players, Matthews is the first guy to come to mind. But you go ask somebody in New York or wherever, and I bet it's I bet it's not the case. So Hughes was the puzzling one to me. Not to say that I don't think he's kind of there with all those other guys, mm-hmm. but... I don't know, like Drysaddle, Matthews. They just have such a longer track record there. And I can't believe I'm arguing for Drysaddle to be higher on a list because I'm always the guy who's saying, eh, why don't you bump him down just one or two spots? He gets to play with McDavid sometimes. I don't I don't know how to judge that. But he has the MVP season. You can never take that away from him, so that's why he's there. The Hughes one is just puzzling to me. Plus, Drysaddle now the uh, Edmonton Oilers franchise leader in power play goals 127, passing Ryan Smith. And Glenn Anderson. I mean, that's that's not a bad franchise to have a franchise record offensively with. How many people are floored that those are the guys? <laughs> right. You know, like Curry, Coffee, Gretzky, mm. Mass, and like, yeah, Glenn Anderson scored a lot of goals.
Mm-hmm. Ryan Smith played for that team for a long time. I, I get it. I understand that happens, but that always boggles my mind is that those guys like the Gretzky's, the Messier's mm-hmm. don't get me wrong. They put up a ton of points on the power play, but it's not where they feasted. It was five on five. Like it's yeah. amazing. Yeah. They feasted against goalies who didn't go down. Yeah. It's, I reserve the right to never stop making fun of the move that somehow led to uh, multiple 30 goal scores in the NHL, a big fake clapper skate yes. around the goalie. Oh, that's a good one. What yeah. a move. <laughs> Where they're up like in the slot, the goalies yeah. are. Yeah, oh, why no. is he up there? What's going on? That's uh, good. You cut down the angle, Brent. Sure. <laughs> All right. Time for something to chew on. Brought to you by Great Canadian Meats. I love this. All right, pro football talk with this story. Quote, per multiple sources, the representatives of USC quarterback Caleb Williams had been making it known to prospective agents that Williams wants partial ownership of the team that selects him in 2024 if he declares for the draft. Likewise, a league source tells PFT that Jets quarterback Aaron Rodgers attempted to secure equity in his contract discussions with the Jets. I will add, parenthetically, People unfamiliar with the Caleb Williams oeuvre. Like, yeah, he's going to go first mm-hmm. overall, uh, USC quarterback. If he comes out. Uh, he dropped um, out of the number one Heisman uh, position to, like, number five because he just had a three-interception game against Notre Dame. Tough time for this report to come out. <laughs> Almost like somebody was waiting for this game to leak this report. Almost like that. That's where my mind's eye jumps to immediately. I want to be... I. I commend him on one hand because I'm not good at this, but all you can do is ask and all they can do is say no. But who the hell do you think you are? I mean, Tom Brady, we know about the thing that happened with the Dolphins and the blow up there and everything. It's like Tom Brady was potentially going to get a small piece of ownership after his seven Super Bowl ring career was over effectively. That's what got him partial ownership. Amazing that he would ask. Part of this feels like he hates all the teams that have a chance to draft him, and he's just trying to throw as much smoke and noise their way as possible. I love this story. The hubris, I love it. I cannot get enough of it. No, this guy's on my radar big time. Um, For, did it, we, you just, you're you're in? What? No, no, no. Oh, as, far, as far as, like, some of the stories that have emerged, and it was, okay, this, this report talks about the representative. It's been his dad that mm-hmm. has been on the record is talking about, hey, yeah, no, we're probably gonna declare for the draft after this season, but it depends. Archie on, Manning could do it. Yeah, who has the the first overall pick? Because maybe not. Like if it's yeah, well, hey, if it's Chicago, like I don't, I don't, I don't yeah. know. Maybe, maybe we'll we'll see. Um, the idea that this would be leaked again after a three interception day, and okay, lots of top quarterback prospects have not had a a totally unblemished college career doesn't mm-hmm. in, at all For impact sure. the 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 pedigree or the the standing that he has amongst teams that might have the the first overall selection but mm. nobody's a guarantee man like there is no guarantee as we've well established over the last couple of years looking at the way first round mm-hmm. pick we just talked about Tebow now he never should have gone in the first round but yeah I there. mean who would have thought that Josh Allen w- would emerge as you the know guy. Yeah. or uh, Lamar Jackson at the end of the first round in that incredible draft class and yeah Baker Mayfield still playing football but yeah no there are no guarantees even with a guy as as seemingly can't miss as Caleb Williams 
Um, and, and that you're comparing him to a guy that's a Hall of Famer, has a Super Bowl ring in in Aaron Rodgers, who also was rebuffed. There's actual verbiage in, I guess, the CBA that doesn't allow it. But, like, it does raise an interesting philosophical question. I, re- hmm. I remember when it was being bandied about that the NBA players, when they were having issues with uh, the league and, and, and deciding how to conduct a season in the bubble – how it would look if they just like fractured off and made their own league. Like there is an element of of the the modern professional athlete being so important, such a branded to themselves, not needing the mechanism of the league, of the billionaire to prop them up. Like if we were just like restarting sports from scratch today, we're like, everything's over. Like we're we're restarting. Yeah. The sports and the most famous people are the athletes who have already established their brands. Would it not make sense for them to own the teams as well and 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 take all of the profits? Now, like, I don't know on a mechanics level how that would work at all because you just have super teams yeah. and, and how would trades work? <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, wh- why are people who just fronted the bills for these teams uh, participating in the profit – if now that the players have been established, they 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 can't just take all the profits themselves. They're, they're the ones doing the work. See, it, it's interesting because where my mind goes when you ask me that question is not to answer it, but another kind of fallout from it is it, let's just live in that world for five seconds. Mm-hmm. How much more does a guy like Sidney, how much more important does a guy like Sidney Crosby become where they are not just the best at their sport, but yeah. they are so serially driven to win and they are professionals and just locked in and like think of all the conversations we have about these I mean go back to the Jays go back to years past of the Leafs whatever of oh do they really want to win are they locked in imagine how fun those conversations would be if their literal money on on the line I it's fascinating never ever and it is kind of like I'm also surprised you have your sickle and hammer out with the socialist idea of the players (laughs) owning so much it's really off character for you I'm proletariat but yeah no it's it's uh it, it it would i understand that right now players are motivated by winning right like obviously there is like a financial incentive to win mm. and to be on a winning team but it's like layered right yep. like it's not it's not as obvious as you being an equity part owner of the franchise and the the sport i keep coming back to is because it it, it came so mm-hmm. not came so close but like has actually been physically bandied about about fracturing off and the players doing this themselves is the nba right. and this conversation that we're going to have all season long about the new rules in place for load management how do the players view playing 82 games a season when it's their direct money on the line. They're the ones that have to to answer to their own paying fans as to why they're not playing the game. And that's the well, most interesting potential outcome of this. The other part of it is, you know, we've we've all had the conversations of, ah, a hockey season should only be 60 games. An NBA season should only be X many. Does a player feel differently about... Because the, the owner is never going to say, right. you know what, you're right. I should take 10% right. less because it's the right thing to do. Yeah. But the players may actually say, yeah, it's wouldn't it be better? Load. It's my body. Yeah. I would like to do this. So, there is a ma- yeah. an amount of money where yeah. it makes sense. Uh, that's the other thing. And I did just want to go back to the Caleb Williams but before we uh, step aside. We'll talk to Sammy Cause in a second here. The other part that I think is fascinating about this, because again, clearly it's leaking from somewhere. The fact that it came out right after he had his worst game of the season. And this is a little inside college football, but we'll get there more as the season goes on is the other top quarterback is Drake May out of UNC, who is uh 
understand, see if you can understand where I'm going with this. You know, Caleb Williams, not a pocket passer, more of an athlete. Mm. Drake May, more of your standard quarterback mm. type. If you feel like Caleb Williams is more of a, and I don't feel this way, but I'm sure there are a lot of evaluators. We do this thing every year, all about himself, very selfish. And Drake May is seen as the, the good soldier who's just going to do what the team needs him to do. I wonder if there's an agent in Drake May's camp that got a hand on that, and he was the one who decided to leak all that to make him look even better as the stand-up guy. And I, I again, I should probably clarify, I'm rolling my eyes through all this because it's ridiculous to me, but I do think that there's maybe some of that at play as well. I'd be taking Caleb Williams first overall if I had the first Same. overall selection, but I'd I'd be very on alert for the potential... Of an Archie Manning. Uh, yeah, the, the, the potential... Uh, Rough waters that may be ahead for any team selecting him. All right. When we come back, it's uh, Scotiabank Wednesday Night Hockey tonight. Washington Capitals, Senator, 7 p.m. on Sportsnet. Sammy Cosentino going to be a part of the uh, panel for that game. He joins us next. The Fan Morning Show continues. Ben Annis, Brent Gunning, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Dive deep into Toronto sports and the NFL. The J.D. Bunkus Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Fan Morning Show, Sportsnet 590, the fan, Ben Ennis, Brent Gunning. Maple Leafs back in action. They start their season-long five-game road trip. Good to get it out of the way um, early on this season. The the Blackhawks did it, like, right out of the chute. Mm -hmm. Five-gamer wrapping up in Denver against the Avalanche. Connor Bedard's got to find a house still. I don't even know if he has not. He probably does, but he hasn't seen it. He has not seen it, I Well, suppose. no, it's like, he's gonna, I told you, he's going to go there. He's not going to remember where anything is. He just moved. He's gone mm. for two weeks. I would hate that, personally. I, I don't My know. life's a little different than his, though. Yeah, it was, it was fun to, to see him in action against the Leafs mm-hmm. on Monday. We, we didn't talk about it much, but, yeah, I didn't see him too much on the broadcast. I didn't I didn't see him. No, uh, uh, you know, you know was, Taylor Hall may have may, no. may have struck a chord there. Uh, yeah, Taylor Swift, he, he is not. Uh, yeah, there was plenty of car- crowd shots of him, but we did not get the, you know, like he did the one-on-one with Emily Cap after the ESPN game there. And yeah, he was a little uh, more quiet. And hey, you sell the game where you want to sell it, but not selling it here. Maybe mm. a, an odd choice, but it's neither here nor there. Doesn't need to be sold here. Um, all right, let's talk to Sam Cosentino, Sportsnet hockey analyst, getting set for uh, Scotiabank Wednesday Night Hockey Capitals at Senators, 7 o'clock on uh, Sportsnet Hockey Central starting at 6.30. Good morning, Sammy. How's it going? Ben, is, uh, are you, have you hit for the cycle now? Yeah, I'm. I'm trying to think <laughs> if there's a slot I haven't. I think so. Like I think, I, and I've done every single hour of the 24-hour clock on the radio because I've done overnights. Like I started my on-air career doing uh, Olympic updates during the turn Olympics. Like yeah, I've, I I think I've I've done it all, man. Yeah, you've hit for the cycle. So <laughs> unbelievable. Well, good on you. This is a cool, thanks, a cool new opportunity. So thanks, uh, thanks for having me on. No, thanks for coming on. Uh, I appreciate it, buddy. Hey, uh, I'm sure you had Connor Bedard ranked uh, number one overall in your last good draft job. ranking. I gotta say, your draft list coming out later today. But yeah, well done on that. Looks looks like that was pretty prescient. Nice. Yeah. Somehow it just happened to work out. I guess we got lucky. <laughs> Uh, His team, though, off to a nice little start, two and two, uh, through, again, these four games on the road to to start his NHL career uh, as they take it to the Leafs 
on Monday. Uh, what have you made of this this Leafs team in an overall sense? I, I mentioned it earlier that um, I know outside perspective is that this is a run-and-gun team and has been over the years, but they were fourth in the NHL last season in five-on-five goals against. It's three games, but they're second last uh, in five-on-five goals against through these first three games. At, at what point do you, you start looking at a level of concern? Well, it's funny. I was down there the other day, and uh, you know, Sheldon Keith mentioned two things on a couple of occasions. He talked about having six new players to try and implement into their system, which I think differs, uh, you know, is quite a bit of a departure from from what they're used to playing. As well as you got a couple of new coaches, so um, you know, with Guy Boucher and what he wants to do, obviously working on the six and five, that looks like, uh, <laughs> you know, that seems to have uh, worked out here in the early going. You got Mike Van Ryan in there as well. Um, you know, a guy who's made his mark uh, being a defensive specialist. So I don't, when it comes to Sheldon, you have the grand plan, you have to implement your coaches and also allow them to put their touch on things. And then you have to implement six new players into the system. But if you look at it, they've not played well. They've played entertaining. The game against Montreal in opening night was, that was one of the most entertaining hockey games I've ever seen. It was crazy. And then, you know, after that, they, they just haven't played well yet. So I'm not worried about this team. I still think this team's going to, uh, you know, go on to win the Atlantic and probably be in a better playoff position than they've ever been in. And then it's going to be the same old story. You get to April, can you get past round one this time around? Can you get past round two uh, and get into into round, uh, you know, or into round three? So that's, that's what you're looking at with this club. Am I concerned about it right now? The play has not looked good. Everything is still new. It's young. It's fresh. Lots of new people being implemented in the system. This team is going to be fine. Yeah, that that's my my overall view of it as well. And, you know, there's been so much talk about Matthews, rightfully so. He comes out of the gate with the back-to-back hat. He's there. And, you know, my prevailing sentiment on him is that if if he is a, you know, a better version, a different version of himself, I think it's just a guy kind of maturing. He's 26 years old. He's right in the peak of his prime. But, you know, I don't want to ask you about Matthews. I actually want to ask you about Marner. You know, there's a lot of talk about Matthews, the center and growth he can take and becoming that Selkie level forward. Marner, I think a lot of people rightfully so have him in there. But if Mitch Marner finds a new level or another gear to his game, what do you think that looks like? I mean, there's been so much talk in the past about the shot. He did score a little more last year. What do you make of uh, Marner heading into this year? And what do you expect from him? You know what, Gunnar? I don't know if there's anything more that, that you'd really want from him. I mean, he plays both sides of the puck. He his hand eye is crazy. This guy knocks down pucks in midair and, and gets in the lanes properly. Like he's just so smart. His ability to anticipate and then execute on on breaking up plays, especially in neutral ice. The skating's fine. The playmaking's good. You know the added layer you talked about with with some uh, with more shooting. I think that was kind of the piece that was missing from his game. So. I don't really have any great expectations for him to jump to, you know, 130 points or be a 50 goal scorer. I think the guy that they had last year mm-hmm. is probably the guy that you could live with for the for the duration of his contract and maybe even beyond. Like, I don't know. He, he the thing that's kind of cool for me is that when I watched Mitch with London at 16 years old and all the way through up his career with the Knights. I thought, geez, he gets away with a lot of stuff. How is he going to be able to pull this off at his size in the National Hockey League? And he's actually doing it. He's doing all the things he did in junior in the National Hockey League, and he's really good at it. So I don't, I don't really have any great expectations or see any additional layers to his game. You know, strength, 
is probably the the one thing. But even when you look at him from going back to his days, you know, six seven years ago, he's improved in that department. So I, I really like the player. I have a lot of time for him, um, and, and I think he's going to have another successful season again. And you know, he likes to ride sidecar with his buddy, and I don't blame him. Yeah. Uh, for his sake, I'm sure he hopes he gets like at least one more point than he did a season ago. Yes. 97, 99 <laughs> points uh, a season ago in uh, in 80 games. So I'm I'm glad to see that Fraser Minton made the trip with the Leafs to Florida because that would have been a major, major bummer to have this guy uh, break camp with this team, play his first uh, National Hockey League games and not get to go on his first road trip. He's with the Leafs. Who knows how long this, this I guess, audition continues for him. Um, I don't know how you viewed him a couple of years ago when he was selected in the second round by the Leafs, but certainly it was a, a surprise to most people that, that he uh, assumed this third-line center role to start the season. It, it's been mixed results so far. What do you expect as, as far as his deployment the, the rest of the way and, and his future this season, whether it be in the NHL or, or sent back to junior? You know, unlike a lot of guys, he came out a junior and wasn't the superstar player. He wasn't on the top power play on his team. He wasn't the biggest point producer in his team. He wasn't getting the prime time top minutes. And so when you have to make that adjustment, like a lot of young players have to make, is that, okay, you've played every minute in every situation in your junior team. Now you're expected to go and play, you know, 8 to 12 minutes playing in the third or fourth line role in the National Hockey League, like how would you adjust to that? Well, for Fraser, that adjustment hasn't been as significant for others because he was already kind of that reliable guy who wasn't getting all the primetime minutes in Kamloops. And so you have to give a lot of credit to Sean Clouston, the, the head coach and general manager there, who really got Fraser uh, tuned into playing a pro style of game, being on the right side of puck, getting into lanes, you know, winning face-offs, um, you know, getting in on the forecheck, He's doing all of those things that a more experienced third and fourth line player would do, but he's doing it at that young age. So I do think there's some sustainability there. And maybe the greatest thing he has going for him is the entry-level contract. You know, with the Leafs being so tight against the cap, if you have a player who's not hurting you and you can still deploy him and find uh, chemistry with, with Matthew Nyes, you know, you're looking at a pretty valuable asset. So I, I kind of think this thing's going to extend past the past the 10 game mark. And, you know, the, the interesting part will be getting out on the road. He's not going to be able to have the, the same matchup luxuries as he would have had uh, in the home games to start the season. But I, I believe in the player and I, I think he's a smart enough guy to, to figure it out here. So good on the Leafs scouting staff. When you think of, of Nyes and Minton in years where the Toronto Maple Leafs didn't have first rounders and have produced guys in a short period of time, that look like some of the first-rounders that went ahead of them, you have to give uh, give some kudos there. Yeah, certainly. I mean, Nyes obviously uh, surprised a lot of people the way he kind of uh, busted on the scene in, in the last couple of years there. You know, you mentioned uh, that possibly extending past the nine-game mark. Obviously, that burns one year of the ELC. Do you think teams are kind of changing the way they think about that? I mean, even just a couple of years ago, that would be sacrosanct to burn a year of the ELC if you didn't think this was a bona fide player for you. But I do wonder if teams are more looking at that 41-game mark that gets you closer to UFA. Because, you know, again, you would love to have Frazier Minton for three years on an ELC, and he's helping you, and I get all that. But if you can, and the Leafs are going to be in this spot with Nyes, if you can negotiate 
negotiate while the player has less track record, I mean, we see how valuable to, that can be to teams. So do you think teams are kind of changing their their tune with how they view the, the nine-game audition as opposed to maybe it's more of a 40-game audition? Yeah, I, I think so, Gunnar. And, you know, so so there's there's two elements there, obviously, with what you talk about and getting closer to UFA. But in the in the grand master plan, when you walk in the general manager's office, they have, you know, they have their list of players and where they are in their careers and contract situations. And you want to do your best to stagger your good young players so that they're not all coming up at the, at the same time. So that's something that you have to keep into into consideration. I think the next thing when it comes to that is if you can uh, extend that player to the 39 game mark, let's say, and then all of a sudden you make a decision, all right, he's going to go to, he's going to go to world juniors. We'll come him back. We'll, we'll get him into a conditioning stint and you might be able to delay that inevitability a bit longer. So sort of like what happened with, with Shane Wright last year. So I, I look at that situation and I say, if he's still a valuable member that's helping you win, kind of like Zach Benson in Buffalo, which we've heard about, then you keep the player. And if you get to that 35-game mark and all of a sudden he's you know, down to four to six minutes and he's being healthy every now and then and he can't be a, a, a successful contributing member to your lineup, then you move off on him before that 40-game mark. But uh, it, it's going to be fun to watch how these two young guys can kind of grow together. If they can keep them together in the same line, if Minton can elevate himself a little bit to be able to play up with Nyes and, and maybe Domi, as we saw the other night. Um, but he's a he's a sharp guy. But I, you know, I, I don't think for in Toronto's case, the the ten game mark is a big issue. The other part of that is is when you look at the the prorated savings that you get to a point in the year where that player has played on his ELC for thirty nine games. It does buy you a little bit more freedom in terms of what you might uh, want to uh, accrue during the year in terms of other assets, where their prorated money is now down a little bit because you're you're further on into the season. You're almost at the halfway point in the year, so a lot of things to consider there with that forty game mark. Okay, before we let you go, thinking about those potential future moves and the deadline moves, uh, Maple Leafs have their upcoming first round pick for now. Um, your draft list coming out later today i mean just in an overall sense and not that this is going to play too much a factor in in whether or not the maple leafs use that that first round pick in in a deadline move but what what is the depth of field uh for this upcoming nhl draft in the first round yeah the the, the guy leading the way max and celebrini is uh he's going to be a star and then you have about uh you know six or seven guys after that that i think are in a, in a top tier um, and I think, I think it's too early still to decode the rest of it. But the one thing I'll say is it looks to be defenseman heavy. I think we had seven or eight D go in the first round last year. I'd expect that number to be into double digits, 10 to 15, uh, maybe as many as 15 in round one this year. And that's an asset, you know, Toronto Maple Leafs could probably use in terms of their drafting. So that's mm-hmm. just something to keep in the back of your mind. But I, it looks pretty D heavy for me this year, at least in the early stages. Do you think we're getting out of the the COVID fog? I know talking to you in the last couple of years, I mean, yeah, it's pretty easy to look at Connor Bedard and say that guy's going to be pretty good, but so many players miss so much time. It's such a crucial development window. And look, the the draft is always a bit of an unknown, of course, but do you think we're finally at a place where that window is kind of behind us and now you have seen enough of track record for these players that there is, I mean, there's always uncertainty. It's literally guessing or, or, you know, prognosticating, but do you think that that COVID kind of haze has gone away a bit? now i think this is probably the last year of it 
And it's not so much in terms of the scouting piece, but more the development piece. Yeah. You know, you're missing the key minor hockey year where sometimes in your U14 or 15 years, you're playing 70 or 80 games. And so those years are important, especially with, with what happened in Ontario. I think it's mitigated to the point now where you're not making a decision just based on that. But the other thing I'll say about that, two things as it relates to the draft. The first one would be you're probably still going to see a couple of like late-round gems or late bloomers that are, are still playing that catch-up game. And you'll probably see a, a trend that we've seen continue is that more players that are second and third time through the draft, especially once you get past round three, tend to be the, you know, the trend. And I think COVID played a big part in that because you uh, scouts had a little bit more of a book on those players when some of them weren't playing a full schedule. And I think that trend's going to continue because the older you get, I think there's a little bit more certainty as to what the projection of that player looks like. Sammy? I mean, you talk about me hitting for the cycle here on the radio station. You yourself, like, listen, don't sell yourself short. How, how many different roles have you played at sports now? <laughs> yeah, buddy. You know what? A little bit of Blue Jays play-by-play, Blue yeah. Jays field reporter, <laughs> Blue Jays host for the Blue Jays Express show, if you ever remember that. Oh, oh boy, yeah. do Canadian, we. Canadian Baseball League play-by-play, if you, can, if you blink and remember that. I don't. <laughs> yeah. the junior hockey memorial cup the baseball playoffs world series all-star games it's been a, been a lot of stuff so buddy you and i can say we've hit the cycle we certainly have a couple of swiss army knives sammy uh, <laughs> uh great to talk to you pal see ya okay take care guys sam cosentino sportsnet hockey analyst he's he's done a few things been around the block a yeah couple I, of times. I, I honestly when he brought it up i was about to go Harper or Trout, who'd you rather be? Go. <laughs> yeah. But I know that he wants to have that conversation too much that he would be upset that I wanted that answer in one minute. It was a good point, though, he made about uh, Fraser Minton um, not being yeah. th- like he was He was drafted in the second round. It's not like we're talking about yeah. a fifth rounder right. here. And, yeah, he accumulated some points. Mm-hmm. It's also, not like, yeah, guy was 10 points. But he was not in that prototypical top prospect mold when he was selected at a junior was playing not a third line role, but understood that his path to being a successful NHLer wasn't racking up a ton of points and forgetting about his defensive responsibilities, maybe making his transition easier to the NHL. And maybe the singular reason why he impressed so much during the preseason that he was already kind of built for this. Yeah. And I think the other thing to point out about that is that some people might hear that and go, Oh, but that's a knock on the player that he couldn't be that in junior, but Cam loops hosted the Memorial cup. So it was one of those cases yeah. where they got, they know pretty good. They knew they were going to be there. So they loaded up a ton. So I don't, I, I think some people will hear that and go, well, if he can't solidify himself there, what chances does he have to do it here? A little bit of a different animal than most junior teams. So I think it's important to point that out as well. Uh, Sammy thinking he's going to, he's going to be around past the, the nine game mark in the NHL. I'd love it for something to talk about. If nothing else, honestly. Yeah. Uh, we will see. All right. Time now for the Wake and Rake. You know, I lost 10 dimes on them. Whoops. The Wake and Rake is presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sports book. Bet local. All right. We have uh, ALCS game number three as the series shifting to Texas, where the fans in Arlington have not gotten much of a chance to celebrate their team. Of course, losing game 162 mm-hmm. of the regular season to lose their grip on the American League West, end up as a wildcard team, but they uh, return home after taking the first two games in Houston 
against the Astros. Max Scherzer on the bump tonight for the first time since that Blue Jays game on September he did, 12th. He did, he did pitch a hungover sim game the okay. day after they won the last series, he said. <laughs> Christian Javier uh, getting the start for the Astros. Um, the Rangers favored in this game, minus 130 to take a three games to none series stranglehold lead. Astros plus 110. Uh, I, I got to say... I love the defending World Series champions against a guy who hasn't pitched in the Major Leagues of Baseball in more than a month. Yeah, that's exactly where I was going on that. <laughs> I was trending towards the Astros regardless. And then, yeah, you see it's been that long. You know, I know it's been a while, but when you put it back into September, the regular season, yeah, it's been a long, long time. And that that Astros offense, it'll, it'll get you. And I think you might be gettable tonight. Well, and, and the Astros came oh so close to, to coming all the way mm-hmm. back in game two. It was 5-4 and, of course, had the bases loaded situation none out in the fifth inning that Nate Evaldi was able to pitch his way out somehow some way eventually this Rangers bullpen is is gonna bite them you would figure um Jordan Alvarez is doing Jordan Alvarez stuff a couple of home runs in in game two uh six player in major league history to have two multi-homer games in one postseason his um over under for home runs naturally a half uh over paying plus 240 under minus 305, I mean, th- this guy, again, built for the postseason. Mm-hmm. He he has the pedigree. I'd, I'd throw a couple of ducats on plus 240 for him to hit a home yeah, run as far as, well. Yeah, uh, as far as a flyer goes, that is as good a homer bet and odds and value you're going to get there. So, yeah, I'd do that as well. Uh, Scotiabank Wednesday night hockey. Capitals, Senators, as the, the Sens are minus 167 on the money line. The, the total for goals is six and a half. Um, I like the over. Mm-hmm. Each Sens game this season has gone over six and a half. The, like these numbers are so inflated early on mm-hmm. in the season. Like six and a half. All these games are six and a half. The total. Those we'll see a lot more five and a halfs and sixes as the season progresses. Mm-hmm. But this is this is goal season, baby. Yeah, it's uh shout out to our producer Jeff cooking up these stats for us. The Sens are basically an NFL team. They just cover, baby, and they hit the over. Uh so uh, kudos to them there. Uh I I do like the the over in that game. Just they've they've uh, they've tended to hit it. Uh Ovechkin hasn't popped off the way you would think yet this year, so uh he feels due. And I've not been sold on uh the 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 goaltender Ottawa when got this year. So, you know, I think he's fine, but I think he's a goalie and super, super gettable. So yeah, give me the over there. Don't have a feel for the results of that game mm-hmm. one way or another. Another, but definitely the over. That was the Wake and Rake presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sports book. Bet local. When we come back, Sheldon Keefe, unencumbered. What does Bruce Boudreaux think of the early returns of this Toronto Maple Leaf season? The Jack Adams Award winner joins us next as the Fan Morning Show continues. Ben Ennis, Brent Gunning, Sportsnet 590, The Fan.